0: Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SubChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. After a break due to the tomb-sweeping holiday, we are back in the studio and serving up the biggest updates on the world's second-largest economy. We'll be hearing about how locked-down Shanghai residents are getting fed up with chaotic COVID controls. Beijing is demanding answers after chilling reports emerged of the killings of civilians in Ukraine. Meanwhile, a Chinese regulator has pledged to implement new overseas IPO rules as soon as possible. With all the news that counts, here's your weekly roundup from China's business scene. Last week, China's ambassador to the United Nations called on the Security Council to investigate the deeply disturbing reports of civilian deaths in Bucha, Ukraine. Ambassador Zhang Jun said that the relevant circumstances and the specific causes of the incident should be verified and established. The Beijing envoy added that under international humanitarian law, civilians should be spared from any forms of violence in armed conflicts. The news comes after chilling images and videos emerged online that showed dead bodies in civilian clothing on the streets in a region close to Ukraine's capital. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky accused Russian troops of indiscriminately killing civilians, quote, just for their pleasure, unquote. Russia has denied the allegations. Moving on to more grim human trafficking allegations that have shocked Chinese social media users. Authorities in northwest China's Shanxi province have detained at least two people for suspected human trafficking. That's after an investigation into a high-profile case of a woman discovered in an iron cage found she had been abducted in 2010 and later bought by her husband. A statement issued last week said 13 people involved in the case mostly officials, had also been punished. However, the criminal statute of limitations on the husband for buying the woman had expired. The case highlights the ongoing difficulty of punishing the buyers of trafficked people, despite reignited calls for harsher punishments at this year's two sessions, the annual key political gatherings in Beijing. A string of such cases has come to light this year, sparking online outrage, including, of course, the notorious case of a shackled mother of eight. In big financial news, China's top securities watchdog will speed up efforts to put new rules surrounding overseas IPOs into effect. The chairman of the China Securities Regulatory Commission said Saturday the body will keep the channel of overseas listings unclogged. This is a reiteration of the commission's commitment on March 16th following a meeting of the country's top financial policy committee that aimed to address market concerns in the wake of massive sell-offs of Chinese stocks at home and abroad. One of the concerns was whether Beijing would support Chinese companies listing in the U.S. These fears date back to DD Global Inc.'s $4.4 billion IPO on the New York Stock Exchange last year. Within days of its June 30th debut, the Chinese ride-hailing giant, faced a devastating backlash from domestic Internet watchdogs. The company was required to undergo a cybersecurity review, remove its apps from app stores, and suspend new user registrations. On a related note, U.S. consulting firm Bain says that China's private equity market may lose momentum after years of superheated growth. According to Bain, Global investors are increasingly concerned about the country's slowing economic growth and increasing investment risk. Rising geopolitical tensions and tighter industry regulations cast a cloud over China's IPO market in the second half of 2021. Bain's report says that the value of IPOs dropped 50% in the second half from a year earlier. The report goes on to say that weak stock markets on the Chinese mainland and in Hong Kong contributed to an unattractive exit environment, while policy uncertainty and poorly performing public markets left China unable to support the high IPO multiples required for a profitable exit. As a result, Bain suggests that such conditions could continue to dampen China's exit market in 2022. China's central bank has included 11 new cities in its digital currency pilot program. Among the latest additions are Tianjin, Chongqing, and Guangzhou, as well as the six cities in Zhejiang province that will host the 2022 Asian Games. The central bank says that as the pilot has progressed, problems with the digital currency have emerged and that therefore further research is necessary. The challenges include issues related to convenience, security, and compliance. Also in the spotlight is JD.com's billionaire founder Richard Liu. That's after Liu announced his decision to step down as the e-commerce giant's CEO. Liu therefore becomes the latest Chinese tech tycoon to relinquish top management responsibilities as Beijing's tight oversight of the sector continues. In an exchange filing last week, JD.com said that Liu will stay on as board chairman and will continue to focus on guiding the company's long-term strategies, mentoring younger management, and contributing to the revitalization of rural areas. Company president Xu will take over the position. In the past, Liu has made the headlines for some very different reasons. In 2018, he was briefly detained by police in the U.S. over allegations that he raped a college student. The prosecutors later declined to press charges. In other big business news, foreign companies are feeling the pain as China's COVID outbreak rages on. Last week, executives of the European Chamber of Commerce in China said that the nation's latest virus resurgence has disrupted global supply chains and put pressure on foreign enterprises. The remarks came as the world's manufacturing powerhouse is facing the most severe wave of COVID-19 outbreaks since the virus first erupted in Wuhan at the end of 2019. Even more telling is that Jorg Wutke, the chamber's president, says that given how the COVID situation in China has made it difficult to attract or retain expats, some European businesses are also considering moving part of their China operations to other places. And while we're on the subject of COVID, let's turn to Joshua Dummer, Caixin Global's Deputy Copy Desk Chief for the latest on Shanghai, which has now emerged as China's epicenter of its latest virus crisis. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Josh, can you give us a quick update on the current state of the outbreak in Shanghai, I understand that it's now being reported that there are more cases in Shanghai now than there were in Wuhan at the start of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, that's right. So as of Friday, nearly 5,000 COVID patients had been hospitalized, and about 142,000 asymptomatic cases were under medical observation. And that's according to official data from the Shanghai Municipal Health Commission. That makes it easily the biggest outbreak on the Chinese mainland by official tally, and I think the daily COVID cases surpassed the peak of Wuhan's daily COVID cases uh, more than a week ago. But we do need to be really careful when we draw comparisons with the outbreak that centred on Wuhan in early 2020. We have to take into account that official case tallies there were definitely severe undercounts, as testing capacity was severely constrained. Hubei province could only do a few hundred tests per day in late January that year. Also, the process of getting a test was bureaucratic and arduous, as we covered at the time. Not to mention the fact that, obviously, the medical system was just completely overwhelmed. Moreover, we should remember there hasn't actually been a single officially recorded COVID death in Shanghai's outbreak so far, compared with a death toll of 4,500 people in Hubei province.
1: Okay, well, regarding Shanghai's latest COVID outbreak, there have been a lot of complaints about the city's COVID controls leading to all sorts of chaos and putting people in some uncomfortable or even dangerous or life-threatening situations.
0: Of course, the outbreak has severely disrupted just about every aspect of social and economic life in the city, including making it harder for people to get regular medical care. But one of the biggest stories coming out of the outbreak has all been to do with food distribution. With much of the city not allowed to leave their own residential communities, thousands of people in centralized quarantine and strict control on movement in and out of the city, many people have experienced food shortages. Now, it is very difficult to get a handle on the scale and severity of this problem amid all of the chaos, but anecdotally at least, it seems to have definitely led to at least some people going hungry which is obviously a shocking state of affairs in any city, let alone an extremely wealthy and developed metropolis like Shanghai. Now, some people stuck at home have benefited from government largesse, posting pictures of, like, some really impressive-looking hampers of delicious fresh food on social media. But for many, many residents of the city, the only source of fresh food now is discount group-buying clubs. And that's a something that existed before the outbreak, in which local community leaders contact food suppliers take orders, and organize transport for it themselves. Now, it, this is a well-established practice in some larger working-class communities, but it's actually quite rare in more affluent and sparsely populated compounds. That's meant hitting minimum order sizes and finding supplier contacts have been significant hurdles for some people, according to people who we spoke to. Multiple industry insiders and residents also told Sai Sin that essentials like fresh vegetables and meat are sitting around waiting to be delivered, in part because people can't leave their homes to make deliveries. Now, while we didn't hear any stories specifically of things spoiling, you can imagine that there's probably at least some of that going on. Moreover, currently there are about 11,000 gig workers for takeout and grocery delivery in Shanghai. And that's according to a press conference last week by city officials. Now, while it's not clear how many workers the city had before the outbreak, in April 2020, the similarly-sized city of Beijing had about 54,000
1: tiger workers, so about five
0: times more, so the number seems to be likely to be quite depressed.
1: So how is Shanghai now trying to handle the situation?
0: Well, in the broader sense, of course, the city is relying mostly on the country's well-established playbook of case tracking, movement curbs, and centralized quarantine. But as the outbreak is placing extraordinary demands on the city's capacities, it's also having to turn to its neighbours for help in making these policies work. The city has been drafting in medical staff and delivery personnel from other regions to ease the logistical problems and also to staff quarantine facilities. It's also shipping tens of thousands of close contacts of COVID cases to quarantine facilities in neighbouring Jiangsu and Zhejiang provinces, which will host some 60,000 people in total. Over the weekend, the city also said it would begin to loosen curbs in some areas judged to be at lower risk, which also could help to mitigate some of this disruption. Again, it's pretty hard to get a grip on how well all of this is working. While anecdotes posted online by Shanghai residents do seem to imply that more food is getting through to people who need it, the official case tallies do continue to climb.
1: Josh, there's been some speculation that Shanghai's experience could act as some sort of Tipping point on China's zero COVID policy, like a rethink. Do you have thoughts on, on, for example, whether this really could be the point at which China changes its overall approach to the pandemic or changes policies, for instance, on importing foreign vaccines?
0: Yeah. Well, since this outbreak has really turned into quite a disaster, there has been a lot of wide speculation about whether or not this could signal the end of attempting to impose these dynamic clearing policies obviously we've had speculation like that uh, more or less since 2020 you know people are thinking well if Shanghai can't make this work you know who where can make this work but I certainly don't think that we've seen any official signals especially not from the center that there's any plans to relax any of these policies everything all of the uh, rhetoric seems to be very much focused on they're going to make this work uh, they're going to uphold this policy Um, like you mentioned there with the importation of foreign vaccines. There was a document from the Shanghai government which seemed to imply that could be something they were looking at, but um, at least as far as I'm aware that hasn't developed any further and uh, it doesn't look like that policy is going to be coming into force anytime soon, at least as far as we know.
1: Okay, thanks so much for taking the time, Josh. You're welcome. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Tycene Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Benkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Lee Xin of Tyson Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of our new podcasts on the Seneca Network like China Stories, featuring the best writing on China from around the web, and the China Sports Insider podcast. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SUPCHINA Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.